that's one of the primary roles, by the way, what the commissioners should be doing is being involved in the community. If I'm in my desk, if I'm at my desk, I'm probably not doing my job because one of the most important roles I can play is being, being aware of those nonprofits, businesses, et cetera, and what their needs are. And I think one of the important and challenging things for us is to not engage in areas that we shouldn't be involved in. So one of our main faults, I think, is that we see a problem, we become aware of a problem, and then we think, oh, well, we're the ones that have to fix this. So one of the key roles, going back to that kind of idea of community development and our role in it is that we need to foster relationships and bridges and relational capital so that, frankly, non-government organizations are often the ones that are actually providing the service. And I'll tell you why. Fundamentally, it's because the county government is really good at certain things. Like we, we can make blunt instrument policies. We can like tax people, everybody universally. We can throw people in jail, et cetera. And those are all very blunt force instruments that we have at our disposal. What we don't have is the staff or the capacity to really love people in our community. And as a consequence, like we can take your kids away through children and youth services or something, or throw you in jail for drug overdoses or something. But that's usually not going to be the thing that really solves the problem. It's going to be your churches, your local third sector kind of organizations that can actually step in and love those people to change. Several years ago, I met Ben Kafferlin at a county commissioner's conference in Pennsylvania. At the time, he was new to office, and not surprisingly, he had some ideas about how to improve the organization structure. He invited me up to Warren County in northwest Pennsylvania to interview a few key staff and to share my thoughts with the board. I noticed his careful attention to process and also to vision. Now, let me ask you... How does one distinguish vision from an act of magical thinking? I would say substance. It takes thoughtful examination and intention rooted in a willingness to build capacity. Vision is not rooted in agenda. They are two separate things. I wanted to find out how this visionary guy was doing, and so we met over coffee along with his county administrator, Lisa Hapberg. She is from the world of municipal government and comes from an HR and finance background. They are both at a crossroads in their careers, which I will let them explain. I have them both on the show today because Ben has a wide, big picture lens, while Lisa has a strong foothold in the realities and constraints of local government. I think together they bring key competencies to innovative thinking and public service. Some of my favorite moments in our conversation happen when Ben talks about re-examining what government does best. He subscribes to building partnerships with community organizations who can more adequately address gaps in service. I think this is a provocative and productive vein of conversation beyond the one we are having today. Another occurs later in the show when he talks about his own quest to understand the role of public servant. Throughout the conversation, he weaves a philosophical approach to public service that is rich and inspiring. 
Together, Ben and Lisa provide a real-time look at challenges in staffing, service delivery, and leadership in a small county government. I think conversations like these contain wonderful jumping-off points for finding common ground in today's divisive government environment. Thanks for listening. I am your host, Nancy Hess, founder of the Pioneer and Change Community and the PCC Local Time Podcast. We are just getting started, so please consider signing up for our newsletter so you can learn more about what we are up to. The link is in the show notes along with contact information for Ben and Lisa. We get started with Ben sharing how he found his way to county government. Sure. I stumbled into county government, but it was natural because I love administration and management, but I also like political philosophy. So unsurprisingly, my undergrad was in managerial economics. I wanted to know how to really run organizations well from a scientific or empirical way and also political philosophy, which are not a very normal pairing. And now I'm working on my master's in public administration. So I came from a manufacturing background. Uh, I worked in industry. My family has worked in industry and that was my upbringing, very kind of process driven. You know what product you're turning out and the constraints, the inputs, the outputs, that kind of thing. And so when I married that to my interest in the big questions of what is government for and what is truth, what is justice, those kinds of questions, it became very natural to fit into local government because that's where those kind of philosophical questions meet reality. And so I took what I learned in manufacturing, such as my appreciation for the ISO 9000 system or lean manufacturing and stuff like that. And I get annoyed when people say, oh, we should just run government like a business because there are so many things that are not like a business that you just can't correlate everything. But there are certainly lessons to be learned. And in general, I think that local government lags behind best practices in industry about 10 to 20 years. And so what I've been trying to do over the last seven has been implement some of the things that I learned in manufacturing and bring those best practices from the business world into local government. And so I had a, this business, um, which was just named Capital and Strategies because it was more or less a tax entity for me at first. And we started getting into manufacturing and nonprofit management about 10 years ago. And then I realized that there was this vacuum leadership when it comes to regional government leadership. And so I was complaining about it and I was encouraged by various elected officials to run for office. So in 2015, I ran for county commissioner, didn't know what I was really doing necessarily. I thought I had the right skill set, but to be perfectly honest, I didn't understand all the functions of local government. Everyone thought I was going to run for state rep and just use it as a launching pad. And what happened was I realized this was just a great fit because commissioner really allows you to set policy for local government that actually impacts real people. So anyway, that's, that's how we morphed from the company to commissioner. And now I'm looking at not running again and transitioning back to the business. And we're kind of focusing now, not on manufacturing at all, or really business development at all, but only serving local governments, municipal governments, authorities, that kind of thing, and related nonprofit organizations. So not 
you're just going to go out and work with anyone. But if it's related, like it's an emergency services related or human services related nonprofit, then that sort of fits in our wheelhouse. And with that, Lisa. Yeah. You know, Lisa's been an awesome partner as the county administrator. And we've just, I don't know, been so in lockstep on everything that it was a natural fit to join the company. So we're, she's probably going to stay at the county, but we're working on, on building up a repertoire of services together. She comes from a very different background. So why don't you describe? <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. And Lisa, go ahead. Well, I worked for many years in public accounting and I found that I enjoyed our auditing and the government clients. And I know this is, sounds weird, but I like fund accounting. And so it seemed like a natural fit to try local government. So I applied for and got a job in a local municipality and worked there for about 10 years. And then when this job opened up the county, just felt like it was a really good fit for me. I love local government because I love people. I love community. And I just really enjoy serving them and solving problems. So this has been a great space for me. Oh, my goodness. Yes. From the moment I, I met Ben, which has been several years ago, I, I just got very excited about how he saw a larger picture of how everything belongs together. It's not like just county government. It's the community. It's the business yeah. community. It's the support that comes through nonprofits. And this is what I think is where I'd like to take the conversation today. I mean, we're going to talk about reimagining the way we do local government, <clears throat> but ultimately it, it's going to require this partnerships collaboration that you speak of in your own work. And I think that's just such an attractive vision and that I know many will relate to. Before we, we get there, I want to understand where you saw the opportunities first by identifying the challenges. Give us a little idea of how, how you evolved your thinking from those challenges. Well, first, I realized right off the bat that when someone runs for an elected position, they come to the table with an agenda. And they have something in mind that they want to accomplish and they don't realize how hard it is to get there or how hard it can be just because of red tape and policy and regulations, those types of things. And so I found that being a municipal manager was really important to lead and guide the elected officials. And I just saw that being helpful in that way by educating the people who wanted to do good things was really important. How about you, Ben? So I definitely agree with that. And by the way, that's one of the reasons that we're pretty good partners because I come at it from a policy high-level perspective and she comes at things more from an administrative perspective. And I think that divide is very confusing, especially in the way that Pennsylvania sets up county governments. I mean, there is this natural divide and there should be between policy and administration. And I think... Because the commissioners are legislative and executive, it causes this issue where we take on executive and therefore administrative functions where we shouldn't. We should rely on somebody who's frankly professional like Lisa is, that's divorced from the political motives that, that just naturally come from being an elected official. You've heard it said, of course, that ideas have consequences. And I would add that bad ideas have victims. And so often when I see new elected officials that come in with an agenda, they usually have bad ideas because they don't know what they're talking about. 
and they try to implement change that ultimately ends up in either victims of services that get cut or altered or changed or staff who are just run ragged with the, the lack of knowledge, frankly. Can I jump in there before you go on? I'm thinking about micromanaging, which also happens, I think, particularly in smaller counties, when you have a vacuum within your higher level staff. So you come into office and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I could fix this, but I need the right person in that place. And there's somebody that's been there for 30 years and we can't really accomplish that. So you have this blurring of the lines that comes just out of a deficit sometimes. Absolutely. It's hard to attract the right people too. Not only do you sometimes have the Peter principle in play where the wrong person, frankly, gets promoted to the highest level of incompetency, but at the same time, it's hard for us to attract talent to county government. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One is simple. I mean, it has to do with the confusion about benefits, but there's also this kind of lack of a ladder, right? A lack of upward mobility. You can only go so far if you're a probation officer or something like there's deputy and then there's chief, right? That's it. Whereas in a company, like in a private business, you can expand and grow positions and potentially change pay and roles and stuff. We just can't do that as well in a kind of structured local government model. And on top of that, by the way, you have structured turnover too and leadership. I mean, it, in what other scenario are you almost guaranteed to have leadership change either two, four, two or four years, like every two or four years? That's crazy. Right. And again, that goes to go to the point of having a, a steady administrative uh, presence there that has some continuity. I think that's such a key issue with county government, more so than what I see in some of the local municipalities that have a real professional manager that oversees the administrative professional staff. And sometimes that, that uh, those top positions are political with the county. So that turnover makes everyone feel very vulnerable. When I think about moving forward with county government, there is this staffing challenge, the professional administrative piece, but then there's also this connection to community. Like the county government has to be very connected to the community to really be responsive. And I also think from Lisa's perspective, that interaction between community and county government has to be responsive in a way that if I want to do business in your town, that I can come in and actually figure out how to do that, that there's not like blockades in front of me, that there's a responsiveness back and forth between the county and the community. So if you could talk a little bit about your ideas about how from an administrative HR standpoint and from a leadership standpoint, executive leadership, how do those connections get built? How do we think about that? But I think that's one of the primary roles, by the way, of what the commissioners should be doing is being involved in the community. If I'm in my desk, if I'm at my desk, I'm probably not doing my job because one of the most important roles I can play is being, being aware of those nonprofits, businesses, et cetera, and what their needs are. And I think one of the important and challenging things for us is to not engage in areas that we shouldn't be involved in. So one of our main faults, I think, is that we see a problem, we become aware of a problem, and then we think, oh, well, we're the ones that have to fix this. Mm -hmm. So one of the key roles, going back to that kind of idea of community development 
and our role in it is that we need to foster relationships and bridges and relational capital so that frankly, non-government organizations are often the ones that are actually providing the service. And I'll tell you why. Fundamentally, it's because the county government is really good at certain things. Like we, we can make blunt instrument policies. We can like tax people, everybody universally. We can throw people in jail, et cetera. And those are all very blunt force instruments that we have at our disposal. What we don't have is the staff or the capacity to really love people in our community. And as a consequence, like we can take your kids away through children and youth services or something, or throw you in jail for drug overdoses or something. But that's usually not going to be the thing that really solves the problem. It's going to be your churches, your local third sector kind of organizations that can actually step in and love those people to change. Whereas we're just a reactionary, they can actually be proactive in helping to solve real problems. This is interesting to me. So you're actually thinking in some ways about peeling away or forming, I don't know which it is, if it's more peeling away some of the areas of local county government to better utilize resources and creating opportunities in the community to be supportive or forming the basis of delivering that. Yeah. I think that there is an element of peeling away some functions, uh, but I view it more as partnership than anything. It's a, a social impact partnerships. If you just Google that term uh, is kind of what I'm suggesting. It's instances where if we work upstream of the problem with the non-government organization, it could actually save, frankly, the taxpayers and a lot of heartbreak and such down the road. By way of example, here's a social impact partnership. County government has a high rate of people that are in our jail because of drug addiction or something like that. Rather than being on the back end and having the series of inmates that basically are just catch and release and they keep coming back into the jail. What if we could partner with a non-government organization that was able to do some specialized treatment program with people so that it lowered the recidivism rate? So if our recidivism rate is 60% and we partner with a fill-in-the-blank nonprofit organization that actually can delve into these people's lives in a way that would be truly restorative, then our recidivism rate might lower by, let's say, 20%. Well, 20% over even the course of a year can translate into hundreds of thousands of dollars for a mid-sized county. And then you translate that over the course of years. Well, you just saved yourself a lot of money and a lot of administrative hassle by just actually working on achieving the problem. And you can only do that through what they're calling social impact partnerships. I see 20 years down the road where this could get into like bond trading and such. And I won't bore you with that just yet, but I think that is really where the future of government needs to be in terms of collaboration and partnership. We realize that there is a social problem that is ours to work on, but we may not be the solution. We need to have the humility to recognize that partnering with some other group or some other entity might be a better solution than trying to solve it in-house. That is... Really a fascinating idea to me. And let me just ask you, when you speak with other county commissioners, do you find your ideas are well-received? And not just at your county, across the state. I know you work across the state. You go to conferences. 
What's the kind of reception you get when you talk about that approach? I don't know. I don't think we've had enough time to necessarily float a lot of our ideas, but it's changed. So it would be very hard. Uh, I did try implementing a couple of social impact partnerships and uh, ran into union issues and such. So, I mean, I do think that it's the future, but there are a lot of roadblocks and we really need some concrete examples here in Pennsylvania to make it work. I can cite examples where it did work in New York and England in Arizona and such, but they haven't seen a lot of it done on the local level and I have not seen it done in Pennsylvania yet necessarily. So you need to do a lot of research and kind of sell the idea. When I think about working with a county and then Lisa, I want to hear your response to this. When I work with a county, I often run into, I find administrators in particular can have ingenious ideas. And they're thinking along these lines, like we don't need to have this big of a children and youth services, a program, for example. But there is, for want of a better word, a fiefdom that has been established. And the best you can do is know that the director might retire within the next five to 10 years. So we'll plan there because it is very difficult to implement that change. There's a lot of political consequences if you go in and restructure without some thoughtful intention. So I do think what you may be suggesting is a long-term vision, but I think the ideas I see them often come from your area, that county administrator who may be in dialogue with with some of the commissioners who are thinking, can't we do this differently? Do you find that to be true? I do. I do find that to be true. I appreciate the long-term thinking that the commissioners bring to the table so that the People such as myself, the administrators, can take the ball and run with it. And I think that there is a lot of work to do in that. And I don't think that we need to wait until the department heads retire. I think we have to do the best thing, even though sometimes it's painful now, because there's a lot of reasons to do it, because I think in the end, we provide a better service. Do you have any particular ideas about how to bring that about? Do you find having conversations and dialogue? Do you find allies within the organization that can help you achieve some of these types of change? I think that planning is really important to achieve the change. And then communication, of course, is the best strategy. And I can't say that I've always done that well in my career, but I'm learning that it's the most important thing to communicate what the plans are and why and help get in that shared vision to accomplish the task. Yeah. One thing I've heard you say too, to particularly one of our clients, is has to do with picking your battles. There are so many good ideas that we might have, but you blow through political capital way too fast if you try to implement everything all at once. So true. We cannot implement everything all at once. We have to decide what is our top projects. Do you use data to inform your decisions or influence people? So I certainly would hope so. That said, people don't really have to respect for maybe data as they might think. This The phrase data informed or empirical decision making is thrown around a lot. But you know, I think I think there is just a good level of relationship and decision making and what I would call discernment, which is one of your talents. Like I have, I might have 10 ideas on how to solve a problem and you're the discerner, like you're the administrator, the perfect administrative type. 
who's yeah, okay, thanks for all the ideas, but this is the one. And there's not necessarily a whole lot of science to that. That's workable. This is the one that's what? This is the one. It is the idea that's best. That said, I'm not sure if you've ever read How Stella Saved the Farm. Great little book that we read that has to do with essentially bringing experimentation and uh, to some extent, a sort of scientific mindset to really analyzing our ideas, which has been helpful for me because I am an inventor type who just likes to solve problems, even if they're not problems necessarily or not important problems. And I'm also the type that just wants to push my agenda. And frankly, sometimes I have the power to do it. And so it's really helpful to have professional administrative staff that can say, okay, pause, write that idea down and let's actually experiment and try and see if it works and not be married to it. I also think that sometimes we have a lot of financial data, but in private industry, different products that are provided or services are run by the data because you have to be profitable. I think in local government, the services that we provide are often brought about by what the community wants or needs and therefore not as much data-driven as we probably should be. They need to work on that a little bit more. But it's more like just figure out how you can make it work. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that comes at you. It's difficult to always be focused on, on, on the data piece. But we have talked about in our previous conversations um, <clears throat> about your interest in process. And I have an interest in process and have been talking to a few folks about how Focusing on process can be a way to work through maybe some innovative ideas in government organizations. And I'm wondering if you think about that and when you think about it, are you thinking about just the way people do things or are you thinking about specific processes as it relates to implementation of technology, blending the two together? How do you? Yeah, it all fits together. That's one of the main things that surprised me so much when I came into office seven years ago, it's one of the big blaring problems and we haven't fixed it completely yet, but we're working towards it. Again, coming from manufacturing, you have this, first of all, knowledge about what product is that the customer wants. One of the things about local government, which is why I said we're not business, is there's so much confusion as to who is the customer. I mean, the sheriff's office takes a PFA. Is the customer the person that's receiving the PFA? The person that issued the PFA is in the judge, the person that needs the PFA. I mean, there's so many customers. Then there's the public, like there's the general public interest and such. And so figuring out what inputs and outputs you're really trying to achieve in any different product line is very challenging. And I don't think anyone does that very well. So except maybe the internal departments, like if you're the IT department or you're the fiscal or human resources or maintenance departments, like it's clear who your customer is at that point, right? It's internal, but it's a lot harder when you're thinking about it externally. And so I start with that kind of bigger philosophical, what's the input and the output that we're looking for before launching into fixing a process or even documenting a process. So what I found in local government is that most processes are not defined well. They're not documented. If they are documented, they're on a sheet of paper that is kept in a drawer of a department head who's worked there for 30 years and hasn't really been approved by the governing body and such. And I'm not saying that's universal, but it tends to be reactionary where the law changes or something, and that's what causes you to revisit process. And so what I have been trying to do for the last few years is implement what we're calling here at Warren County, a government management system, 
And it's based off of a standard business management system like you'd find in like most manufacturers, for instance. So in this, we define by departments, essentially what are the products and services that you provide? What do you need in order to provide them? And how do you do it? And we put that in a document called an SOP, novel concept. Those elements are things like the definitions and who's responsible for what, and it ties automatically and obviously to job descriptions. If the law changes, here's a reference that needs to change. Something needs to change in your policy. And then it's authorized. So any procedure or policy goes before the elected official that's in charge of it so that it's actually approved. And they're saying, we've gone through the steps. We've verified that this is the best way to do it. And it's in compliance with the law. And we have a system in place to continuously improve the system going forward. And then they actually have the sign off. So like we'll see on the Warren County Commissioner agendas, probably every few weeks or so, you'll see something pop up. We're approving an amendment to a procedure or something like that. And it, it's, it's been really hard to, but I think people are starting to catch on because what I'm hearing in conversations, it used to be, they'd say, oh, this is just Ben's project. And so they begrudgingly go along. And now what I'm hearing people say is, oh, I wish this was in a procedure. This wouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to add a layer to that, your, what you just presented. So when I work with a client, I think of the system as the client. So within that system, there is a lot of, I don't think in so much in terms of customers, I think of all of the various people that touch the process. So a whole approach would mean that even if you're working on a process that emanates or appears to emanate from a particular department, usually when you map it, you find out there's a lot of people that touch that process. And those are, in a way, your stakeholder, but they're all your customers. You want to know even the person that gets served that PFA. You want to know what that feels like because one affects the other. And you, and so I find it most interesting to have that engagement, getting that input from everyone who touches it, because then they become vested in that process. When it finally comes before, you know, a body to say, are we approving it? They care about it, even though they may have only one small. It could be that I'm the person who steps in the day that the other people are not available at the front desk. That's B. That's all I, but I still come to that meeting because that's very important that I say, let me tell you what happens when nobody else is there and I get this kind of issue come forward. So yeah, the engagement piece is, is important. So I do think very much for myself that you can't separate people and process. And in terms of the identification of customer, I almost... Don't think about it so much anymore. Just think about everybody having a part in it, in the outcome. I'd like to find out your ideas about automation. Some people are anti-automation because now you're taking out the people that are the most important part of the process. And that's what the residents want when they come to see a government. But there is this other side that says automation can actually make the organization function better. Yeah. So classic Adam Smith kind of debate since the 1700s, right? If you're cutting the people out, then you're continuing to automate things, then people are going to be out of jobs and they're not going to have the relationships and that kind of thing. And I'm not a Luddite. I definitely think that we can keep the personal touch while still automating systems. So for instance, we made a major investment here in Warren County with 
upgrading to laser fiche, which previously we were just using for document storage. And now we're building automated workflows into the system. Now, I still think it's important that you do the first exercise, which is document the SOPs that you have in place now, because you can't improve on something that's scattershot. You have to know what you're working with before you try to automate it. But yeah, I definitely think that particularly as millennials are in some Gen Z and such, are starting to become more and more of the, the customers, I guess we'll say, of local governments. We need to recognize that they would rather probably fill out some form on an iPad at midnight rather than have to come in to the courthouse and fill out a piece of paper. And frankly, it, it leads to automation, of course, leads to less error and more consistency. I mean, there's many other benefits, but I think those are two of the main drivers for local government. And as for cutting out some of the people and staff time and that kind of thing, it just means that they're going to be reallocated. Their time is going to be reallocated to something that's more integrally important and less drudgery for them. But really, I think technology has a high upfront cost, but the benefits of it just clearly when it comes to automating your workflows, the benefits are just enormous. Yeah. I want to speak to that too. We're working on instituting an HRIS and I thought it would be really well received and people would be really excited about having a one-stop shop for all of their personal information. And we found that's not necessarily the case because they felt like we were taking the people, the human aspect, the connection out of it. And so it has been, some of it is probably change as well, just doing something different and they're just not used to that. But I think that we'll get there, but it's taking longer than I expected. They want the technology, but they still want the, the connection. Part of the theme here today is that how do you build world-class service in a local government? And one of the things that, that I find just makes a huge difference is when I need that person, the actual human contact, I can get it. But I have a choice. I can do it on my own because maybe I've done this before, so I don't have to wait in line. But if I needed it, I can get to it. That little chat thing in the corner that somebody actually comes on and talks to me and says, oh, do you want to talk by phone? I say, yes. <laughs> I mean, places I've worked at in customer service, the front line had become so well cross-trained. They're like the walking Google of the whole county. Right. That's the closest I've seen. I don't think this is such a hard vision. I don't know, but I guess it's very idealistic because I certainly have not seen it happen. I'd love well, there are a lot of contours to county government, and it's very confusing, particularly for the public, because they seem to think that government is monolithic. And I can call the county courthouse if I want to complain about some piece of legislation that has nothing to do with us. Yeah. There's no understanding, it seems, just of basic civics at times, the difference between federal and state and county. I'm going to call my county commissioner to complain about a township auditor, but I have no control of that. So anyway, that's it's hard for people to know, I guess what I'm saying is you'd have to have somebody who is such a generalist that they knew everything about all government and NGOs and related fields. And it's just, it's like impossible to expect somebody to know everything about that. Yeah. Yeah. I do just think that uh, what I hear so often is local government is the government that's closest to the people and it needs to stay that, that feeling needs to be there. We can't lose the feeling that there is a place for me to come and talk to somebody if I, I need to at my local government. So that mentality, I think, is so key. And, and one of the questions that I wanted to ask Lisa is just in working with the customer service 
level at the county. If there is other ways that you're working on that, for instance, calling in on the phone, am I able to get through to somebody or do I get sent into voice message boxes? Those kinds of things that are basic to the customer experience. We work really hard on taking care of the customer here, and I do work with my team to make sure that they realize that's why we're here, is to serve the community, serve our staff, that customer service is our number one. If you call the county, you will get someone on the phone. We have a phone tree, and you'll get an actual person. That you just mentioned about the different reasons people call local government. We've had people call here and wonder why the electric is out and when it's going to come back on. And even though we have nothing to do with that, we're still going to kindly and gently answer their questions as much as possible and let them know that someone's working on it. We may not even know what their electric company is, but we're not just going to put them off. We're going to find a solution. To bring up another example, which kind of goes back to something that Ben was saying earlier, what I hear in my interviews, which when I leave a day of interviews, I think about it for a long time. And that's people who come in who actually need legal advice, but they Mm. don't have the money for an attorney. And the person there at the county is trying to help them without giving them legal advice. It's a conundrum that is, I mean, just speaks to the gap that we have within the community. So it's difficult to really meet them where they're at. But I suppose then going back to your ideas that if there was a community-based resource for those who don't have an attorney but need to complete papers at the county that require some advice, I don't know, just thinking out loud here. I don't really have a solution, but it can definitely resonate with the concern. Yeah. There are many instances where I'll still take a request and run it by our solicitor, Mm -hmm. but don't want to be the one giving legal advice. And at the same time, it's not something we should really be. Right. And I'm thinking about liability. Right. There's domestic situations in particular that I think about that are so heart-wrenching, really. And it does require a person to be there. to help someone, even if it's just to say, you need to go get an attorney, I cannot give you that information. Right. And I think that really comes back to, is that a role that the county government should be doing? I question that. I think that there are probably other avenues that could be solved, but I think that it's a great thing for commissioner to take that sort of scope of work on and try to go solve it. Just probably not by using official government resources. Right. But there may be another organization in the community that that is able to right. guide. I'd like to move on to the topic of organizational health, because I think that this is one of the areas that you do work with organizations. And I don't know if you have some key indicators of organization health that you can share with us today. Sure. So we have built, we're calling an organizational health assessment, and it's born out of a need because there are a lot of those out there for nonprofits. The federal government kind of has one, but I haven't really found one for local government. So we've built our own assessment tool and what we've, some of the functional areas that we'll go in and try to evaluate would be instances of process management, project management, risk mitigation, continuous improvement and evaluation, IT, advocacy, governance, old communications, external communications, et cetera. And what we essentially will go in and ask a 
mess of questions and try to identify like you're doing an annual physical, mm -hmm. trying to find areas of, I guess, strengths and weaknesses so that we can turn your attention to prioritize fixing some of the, frankly, your liabilities. So it's been pretty well received. It's been developing over the last couple of years, and I'm looking forward to spending more time on that because I think, again, going to the doctor's appointment once a year, it's a good gut check. Like you may know what your problems are, but if someone external to you tells you you need to lose weight or whatever, and they have a little bit more, I don't know, impartial third-party authority to tell you that, helpful. Like I, I can tell you that there have been times where in county government, I have taken on the things that I knew were most important. And there are other times where I've just been in a slump and it's easy to just carry on and ignore the big problems. And you need an external person occasionally to come in and give you a adult slap. I think about the metaphor of going to a physical therapist and you have one person could have a shoulder pain, the other person could have a pain in the calf, another person could have a pain in the hip. And they're basically all saying the same thing. You need good posture and alignment and you need to build the muscles around the core. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it, But it's a way of coming at it. So it's not cookie cutter because every single organization is different. But when they say this is where it hurts, you usually get down to areas of process or people are fighting over the way things are done and or don't want to change or have communication. Other... Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're often the same problems. <laughs> right. You're getting down to the core, as they say. And I use that word core a lot when I work with organizations and core values, core process, like really keeping focus on what it is that's going to lead you forward if you're you know, yeah. focused. But it, it's funny you say the word core because we actually divide up the importance based on what we call core, norm, and form. What's those core things being the things that can't or should not change the norm being more the how you go about doing things you're doing and then the form really being your own stylistic freedom and that's often where a lot of communication and fights happen is in those form areas where there's a lot of freedom to change that's just not well communicated yeah i love it. So it's a very interesting any of these materials we could put in the show notes if you want to point people to a place to learn more about this I think it, it's very interesting just thinking about how the language that you use, you're being attentive to, you're being intentional about raising awareness of the organization health. So for instance, again, using a sort of an analogy, it's not necessarily what diet we go on. It's the fact that we're now paying attention on a daily basis about what it is that we're putting in our bodies, what we're doing to increase our efforts towards health. And the same with an organization, and this gets into the next question around coaching, how to help bring attention to those areas of concern and potential. If you'd like to speak to what that looks like for you and share with us any examples you might have of where coaching impacted performance and outcomes. My team is a team of five, and Ben has been coaching us on project management, collaboration, and time management. And the effectiveness of this coaching is causing our team to be really cohesive, awesome to watch evolve. And also, we're on the same page when projects come through using a project management software. 
And I feel like we're accomplishing more because we have learned how to manage our time, how to learn how to manage the project. And so we're still a work in progress, of course, but we have come a long way just over the last six weeks. I think it's important to note too that we didn't just launch into training on how to use our project management software or something. We actually started with really trying to understand how people work together. So for this group, I selected Patrick Lencioni's widget model. Yeah. Which I think has been really helpful because what you were saying about the awareness and communication, it's a lot harder for people to get angry at their coworkers if they understand their tendencies, whether they're good or bad and how they sit into kind of a meta narrative. So we really started with that and frankly, we started by building a team that was really excited about working together and understands how to work together. And another thing that we did was like right here on the wall, we have the vision of the organization, the mission of not only the organization, but this department and the goals for the year, the objectives, et cetera. And so anyone can look at that and say, this is what we're working towards. And I think that we have not even done that completely well within the county government, at least not lately. And that's something that we really like as a team, as a consultant team, we want to double down on because it seems like so many of the communication issues and small HR fights and stuff, and frankly, process versus people really comes down to a lack of understanding of what we're trying to work towards. And it's relatively easily solved. Yes. And so if you could say one more word there or a few more words about getting that out in front of people, what it is that we're actually working towards. I think this is so key that to, to keep that how do you keep that vision out there? So I'll start by saying I regret that we as a culture have lost sight of being public servants. And I don't use that lightly. I literally mean the look at the word servant for just a second. Not a common, not something that you're going to find on most people's job descriptions or on a resume anymore. And I think that we have lost sight of that. It's so neat to look back on old letters, even I was just looking through some ordinances from the seventies and letters and such that were still signed your servant. I, I think one of the things that we've lost sight of maybe universally, but at least here I feel is this, because we're disconnected from the vision, mission, goals, objectives, et cetera, and we're just plodding along and doing our process. Well, I wondered if you could give an example of something that you feel good about from your work that is a collaborative approach to <clears throat> working towards something that you would put in that realm of public servant, working to help the whole that you've been able to collaborate or partner with others in the community to achieve. Yeah. So the example I'll give shut down during COVID and I hope that it comes back, but I think it's still a good example. We came up with the Relate program, Relationships Elevate Lives and Transform Everyone. And that was a jail program where, again, like I was saying earlier with the recidivism thing, I think part of the problem is we can throw people in the slammer, but once they get out, they're just going to go back to their old cronies and they're going to end up back in jail from the same kind of activities. And so what do we do in order to give them access to a different, different friend group, basically? And that's why we came up with this relationship-based model where work release eligible inmates, we were partnering with other nonprofit organizations to have the inmate go do service projects for the nonprofit. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't like the output wasn't, we expect the in inmate to go mow the lawn or something. The point of it was 
every week, the same, the same person takes out the same inmate on a work project. And if they stop by the local coffee shop and they have coffee together, that's a good thing because now that person is able to, when they get out, go to that person for a reference or maybe help them get a job or if they need food or something like that, rather than going through the system and banging around that way, they actually have real relationship with someone on the outside. And so I, I bring that up as an example of the county government had an obligation to do something there, but the way that we were doing it wasn't necessarily working. And so we're partnering with other nonprofit organizations outside, actually utilizing the community to build real relationship. And I wanted to, by the way, just take this opportunity to say, I realized that throughout this interview, I've sounded the managerial process engineer that thinks of all of this as a manufacturing facility where I've got my inputs and my outputs, and this is the widget that I'm trying to put out. And I, I realize that's what it sounds like, but really underneath it all, I think of it way more as an organism, which is why we call it, for instance, the organizational health assessment and why I'm talking about relationship and such, because we can't divorce ourselves from the fact that we are people and we're serving people. And that's really where the heart and the motivation comes for being a public servant is recognizing that you're not just cogs, like our employees are not just cogs and we're not just putting out widgets. Yeah. What I appreciate so much about your approach and that I resonate with is that if we are able to uh, work on process, I think we have more space to work on relationship, which is the more important piece. So I see it that way, making room. If we are getting rid of the relationships, then there are some corporations I can recommend you to. But yeah. that's not where we're at. And exactly. I think that is, uh, the relationship building is across organizations. It's across municipalities. It's across, it's not just one-on-one. -on -one, it's really a connection. And I think that is something that we can all agree on here, that the when we think about local government, Really working for the people, that means there are those connections. It's essential to really, and I think you can feel it when you live in a place that has that value. And I certainly felt that when I visited your county. Uh, I will say that. And it, it, uh, it stood out in terms of a community that had real personality and it was bringing together both history and a way forward. You had a very real interest in, I think you're putting in an incubator. I don't know how that has gone. <clears throat> for small business, yep. but a lot of ideas that I think are really ripe for a lot of other communities that are, are in a similar place. Want to leave some room for anything else that you would like to bring to the show today? Any final thoughts? If there's something we missed, I know we haven't gotten deeply into regional partnerships. I know that's an area that you also have really explored. So I'm going to give you some space to talk about any final thoughts or or projects that you'd like to bring to the conversation today? Go first. Well, back to what you were just saying about the human connection and the people. One of the things that I've been reading and exploring is how to tell people's story. And I've been reading this book called Narrative Economics, and it just discusses how a positive story can light a fire in a community and be really positive for the whole and just highlighting human excellence and that we are all out for the same goal. That's wonderful. That's great. Um, 
And speaking to your note about regionalization, I think that one of the ways that you'll see local governments altering over the course of the next 10, 15 years will be increased collaboration in this way. I doubt you're going to see consolidation as in like municipalities join and whatever, but I do think that you're going to see specialization in collaboration. So by way of example, if I have document storage needs, as do the three counties surrounding me, maybe one of us builds a nice document storage facility and staffs it, and we all share in that. Or I think you'll probably see some more regionalization related to um, human services and the 911 capabilities and that kind of thing, because as the complexity, the legal complexity and the requirements increase, it's becoming clearer and clearer that specialization is needed in order to do a function well. And the cost is just prohibitive. So I mean, just by way of example, looking at our 911 center, like over the last few years, just even in the seven years that I've been here, like we've gone from a, well, the corrections officer in the jail can just get on the radio and radio over to the fire department that there's a fire on such and such street. That is not the way it is anymore. With next gen 911 and such, like the requirements are just so incredibly complex that you need a lot of levels of management and such in order to do it well. A lot of training and my hat's off to those folks that have stepped up. At the same time, like not every county is going to be able to support that as particularly the small ones. So I think you'll see particularly smaller counties and municipalities starting to partner more and more with bigger ones. And I think there's pros and cons to that. And we need to be careful of how we do it because the obvious con is you lose that local connection and local flavor. The pro is that it's done more efficiently and done by the book. So we just want to be careful to mitigate the, or ameliorate the concerns on the front end. And I think we can do that well. It just is going to take a lot of thought and adaptability. I think it's very interesting how your two final thoughts fit together. And I, I don't know, I, this narrative economics sounds like an interesting book, Lisa, but I do think the power of story and where you have been and where you're going is this really important piece of what we're talking about today. We are living in a time where change is. It, we feel it, I think, more present than earlier generations where it felt like, oh, it's just a long stretch forward. Things are changing, I think, in, in more rapid ways. And one exercise I remember doing with an organization, we put a big wall map on. There had been a change in leadership, which you'll have next year, I'm sure, too. So a big timeline on the wall, like a strip of paper. And we put dates. I forget where we started the dates, but we went all the way forward. And at the very forward part of it, we put the vision, the things that, that we were moving towards. And then at the back end, we put where we had been. And then each person in terms of the employees from the different departments went up and marked when they came and they told a story from that time period. They had to share something about the organization from when they came. And so you had this sort of plugging along the line all the way up to the very new people. And I think a piece of it that is the economics, there's that there's a story tied to our development. I'm not sure if that's where it's going, but that once you can see it, you can start to feel it. And if you're feeling it, that means you're in relationship, right? I mean, there is something meaningful there between you and what the organization is doing. 
and there's something meaningful between you and the other people who are also in this together. If there's some element of that I thought was very powerful, but it does come from what is your story? And that sounds to me as if you've been crafting that and you will going forward. You're not moving anywhere, Ben, right? You're going to be in the community. So mm-hmm. it's just something that I think will be very interesting to see how it evolves. And I wish you all great success. I know that will you'll have your challenges, but I think it sounds like some really wonderful opportunities too. So I do want to close. I think that what I can do is put anything in the show notes today that would be helpful for people to find you and any other kinds of notes you want to share with some of the references you made today would be great too. I just want to thank you both for being here and sharing what you've been up to and your thinking. I think we may have a future conversation sometime where we can follow up on some of the ideas that we talked about today, particularly because I'm very interested in some of the work you're doing with organizations. So I hope we do get a chance to have another talk. So thank you so much for being here. Good luck. We'll see you.